Hello, everybody, and welcome to Untether.tv. I'm your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. Well, you know, we walk by these things every day. Now, what I'm talking about are not people on the street or fire hydrants or any of that kind of stuff, parked cars. I'm talking about signage. It is insane. If you just look up from your phone right now and look around, literally do it right now, because I know you're listening to this on your phone, but if you look around, what do you see? You see posters, you see bus shelters, you see if you're in New York City, where my guest is, you see some of the biggest billboards on the planet staring down at you at Times Square. That is signage. And you also see storefronts. Storefronts, as you walk past, it's a sign. It's a way to entice you into the store. But my goodness, we start to ignore these things. And I think that it is an imperative that these things become interactive. And we talk about this all the time on This Week in Location-Based Marketing, the podcast with the CEFCON. And I'm thrilled to actually have a guest here who can enlighten us on what is going on in this industry and how they have revolutionized these simple static signs with a little bit of technology. I'm not going to go any further into it. I'm going to bring in my guest. It's Mikhail Damiani, CEO and co-founder of BlueBite at BlueBite.com. Mikhail, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit about what you guys do. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you having me on. Well, did I get that right? This is this the world of posters, the world of advertising and outdoor advertising and out of home advertising is an incredible yep. opportunity to marry marry that flat screen with the flat screen in your pocket. Am I wrong? Yeah. There? Yeah, no, I think that's that's really kind of the genesis for for how we started off about well, at this point almost 7 years ago. Um, you know, we we said to ourselves, well, like you said, all the signage exists out there in the public domain. You have anything from bus shelters, phone kiosks, airport dios, malls, movie theaters, anywhere you go, you see whether it's static or digital. Um, and we thought to ourselves, hey, that's underutilized real estate. It could do so much more than it's doing today. It's not just about getting an eyeball to see something now that everybody has a cell phone. And even seven years ago, pretty much everyone had a cell phone, albeit not everybody had smartphones to the extent they have today. Uh, but we looked at that signage and said, that's an opportunity, right? That we can do so much more for the consumers. We can do so much more for the brands. We can do so much more for the companies that actually own that signage. And that was really the uh, the genesis for, for Blue Bite. What did you do seven years ago? Because, I mean, you got to think back. Seven years ago, they were just feature phones for the most part, uh, you know, yeah, up until the last three or four years. So what was the original premise of what you guys were trying to do? Well, that's actually where the name Blue Bite came from. That was a play on words on Bluetooth. Yeah. So that was the first technology that we used. Uh, because the only thing really that existed at the time was SMS, uh, and we wanted to have something that was more location-specific. So we basically installed Bluetooth transmitters, and it's funny now how Bluetooth is coming, you know, coming back, back again, with, with coming back again, so full circle. Uh, and we would install a Bluetooth transmitter next to a street-level display or a storefront or a street-level billboard, and as somebody would walk past it, it didn't matter whether they had a smartphone or your standard feature phone. Um, most of those phones, even at that time, had Bluetooth, and you could download a trailer for a movie or wallpapers at that time were uh, you know, very popular with people. So you can, as you walk past it, so it's really the true definition of location-based even seven years ago. And was it hard to sell this seven years ago? Did people get it? It was hard to sell it then. It's still hard to sell it now just <laughs> because, it. <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things that we thought would take maybe a year or two. And, you know, in 2007, <laughs> we said later. to ourselves, we said, hey, 2007 is the year of mobile. 2008 is the year of mobile. And we're still, you know, we're in 2014 now. And unfortunately, while it's such a huge opportunity, the outdoor industry and the agencies in there, they're not as quick to respond to some of these new technologies. Um, and so it's taken a little bit longer than we than we anticipated. But I mean, we've had great success with a lot of big brands and you know, I could touch upon them as, as we discussed this, but uh, it was difficult to sell it. It wasn't something that was, you know, especially at that time, um, it wasn't something that was done before. 
And obviously, as you know, agencies, brands, they're afraid to do something new that hasn't been measured yet. And they don't want to be the first ones in case all of a sudden it fails. Then somebody's got to you know, answer for that. But, so, uh, so, but even now, seven years later, you're still, uh, it must be a little bit easier. At least there's probably inquiries now when back then you were probably pushing it up a hill, right? Exactly. Exactly. So back then we had to knock on a lot of doors and, and, and do tons of meetings. Now people come to us and you know, people we've met with before, people we haven't met with before, people who have seen our body of work come to us and say, okay, what can you guys do for us? How can we extend this campaign? And I think that's probably the, the easiest thing that's allowed us to sell it now is the fact that we have a ton of experience. We have hundreds of campaigns that we could illustrate and results that we can uh, that we can take from whereas then it was unproven even to us <laughs> i love that i think it yeah. works that's the kind of yeah. thing right is it well we're gonna you're gonna be the first you're gonna be the test and and that's the true spirit of an entrepreneur right is to go and find a challenge and then get a customer and then figure out how to solve that challenge ultimately yeah. right yeah, exactly. So what, why don't you explain what it is that you guys do, uh, you know, for a, for a typical customer that would walk in and, and hire you guys? Yeah, so basically, you know, for us, it's really about connecting physical space with the mobile phone in a variety of different, uh, different environments. Like I mentioned, there's airports, movie theaters, college campuses, shopping malls, traditional out-of-home, large format, all of the above. Uh, and when we first started, as I said, it was about Bluetooth. That was really the technology that existed came, you know, our name came out of it. But what we realized pretty early on is the fact that technology is only one component of a successful rollout of a successful campaign. Um, and that technology is constantly evolving. So when we first started, there were a couple of other companies that were trying to do similar things within a year or two, they were no more because again, they were focused on technology so much. Whereas for us, it's really about the experience. Um, and we look at it as consumers first, really, and say, okay, what is the value of this experience? The only thing that technology does is really connect you to the experience. And that's the way we've kind of created our businesses to say, we're creating an experience in a certain location that's relevant, that's valuable to the user. Now let's go out and look at which technologies allow you to create that connection. And different environments, you use different types of connectors, right? So for large format, you have different technologies that make sense versus a poster that you can come up with and engage, like NFC as a, as a prime example. And so over the years, we've kind of added all of those components as they came into the marketplace. So first it was Bluetooth, then we added Wi-Fi, NFC, QR, uh, beacon technology, whatever it may be that allows us to create that connection, make it easier for the consumer, uh, we'll embrace that and utilize it uh, to the extent that we can. Um, and so what we do is basically two things. One is we work with the outdoor media companies, so you know all the, the guys that actually own the signage. And two, we work with agencies that run campaigns for their, for their clients. And we extend what they're already doing on the screens, whether it's digital or on posters, if it's static, and extend that to a mobile experience through all of those things, geofencing, NFC, QR, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, um, all of the above. Um, I think one of the things that really separates us and, uh, from any other company that we've seen over the past seven years and has allowed us to survive for this long um, is the fact that, again, we do things outside of the technology that relate to the campaign. So, you know, at first we didn't really want to be an agency, but we've kind of evolved into certain components of agency-like functions. So uh, things like the creative, um, which is su supremely important to the success of a campaign because it really is a lot, of, a lot about education. Uh, and if you don't tell a consumer, this is what you're going to get as the end value, this is how you get it, most likely that consumer is not going to engage. So the creative is super important. How did you learn that? I mean, I, I don't want to derail your conversation, but that's, that's a very yeah. important part, part, right? Because much of the, uh, many of the campaigns that you do, or all the campaigns that you do are, are very creative, but consistently creative, right? So you're creating yeah. a brand for the brand. So how did you come to that conclusion that you had to offer the creative? 
Well, we saw in a lot of the earlier examples when the creative wasn't present and you didn't have a good call to action, we would see a big difference in results. So we ran tests, we ran focus groups, especially on the digital signage because it allows us a lot more um, versatility with the creative where we can do a week without call to action, we could do a week with call a, to B action testing. A. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so we did a lot of that back in even with the, in the Bluetooth days to, to figure out what works and what doesn't and we've just honed that skill over the past seven years. So we know very well, depending on the environment, what kind of call to action resonates with that audience, what kind of call to action resonates with that messaging. Um, and so I think that's something we've just learned over time. And so I think most of that is based on experience. And for us, really, knowing that the end goal was the success of a campaign, that's how we knew we had to do this because we, could, we wouldn't do a campaign if the call to action was bad. If the creative wasn't willing to work with us, we would say, no, we don't want to do this campaign. We don't want to be involved in it because we don't want to have the association with us of this of this negative experience. How did you, how did you convince them though? You, you know, so you're talking about people that are doing digital or out of home, right? So this is their business. This is their this has been yeah. their life, right? So they understand, you know, jaw dropping messages or, or or images to be able to get your attention. And uh -huh. and you as a as a young company as a startup basically walk in and say, listen, you know what? You, we can't work <laughs> with you if you don't listen to us. How did how did yeah. how did that go down? Yeah, that's that. That was a that was a tough sell. Uh, I'd say I'd say for for the past seven years, only in the past maybe two or three have they really been listening. Um, because again, they've seen our prior track record. In the beginning, it was very difficult, um, and it's you know kind of like pulling teeth and going back and forth. Because again, their primary objective is not mobile. Right. The primary objective of outdoor even today isn't mobile, nor do I think it should be. The primary objective of out of home is, like you said, impact, impressions, and that's what's going to achieve. Mobile is an extension of that. Um, you know, sometimes people say add-on. I think add-on is maybe not the best word. To me, it's you know, it should be an intricate part of it, but it's an extension. So it's it's definitely a, a, a you know balancing act of trying to find something where you don't undermine the primary focus of the out of home. But at the same time, you add enough to create a good call to action and get users to engage and know that, yes, I can receive some kind of mobile interaction from this campaign. So it, it, it did take a while and it's gotten much better to where we work with the creative teams really closely. We don't undermine what they do. We lend our, let's say, advice uh, and we work more on kind of an advisory level uh, to, to find to strike that balance. You, you must think, I mean, early on in the days of, of, you know, trying to marry social and mobile with posters. Uh, I mean, all you did, all you saw was like a bunch of logos, right? So you saw, yep. you know, you're from, from New York. And, and um, so you saw like Foursquare logos, right? And Goala logos going way back. And then you saw Facebook and then Twitter logos and Instagram yep. logos. And that was the, I guess, the engagement part of digital out of home or out of home. Yeah. Are you still seeing those logos or are people starting to realize that it's not about driving them, you know, to, to nameless logos, faceless logos, but it's actually engagement with the brand? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's definitely changed. I mean, you still see Facebook, Twitter logos, um, but not as often as it's more about the messaging and kind of integrated with the campaign and showing the consumer some kind of value past just, you know, just in, like you said, a uh, faceless logo. Yeah. So it, it has gotten much better. It's, it strikes me as, as odd that, uh, you, you know, your whole goal is to drive people from you, you spend a lot of money to get in front of a lot of people and then you're driving them to to a page that isn't even your brand's page. You're driving some anyway. I mean, that's a whole other story. But you were going into I, I totally interrupted you a while back around, you, you know, you became this agency, right? So you did part of it was the creative side. What else did you guys start to bring on in order to be able to uh, to reach your clients? Um, one of the biggest things I said, the creative, the content the mobile experience. I think that has been 
one of the you know most important things that we've adopted and that we've done for our clients because especially back then nobody would create custom mobile content for an out-of-home campaign right it was a test let's just push them to a video let's push them to a youtube video let's push the same thing that we're pushing on the digital screen and that's a huge no-no in mobile and out-of-home right why would i want to replicate the experience i want to extend the experience so if i see a trailer for a movie on a on a 42 inch display why would I want to connect with my phone and get the exact same trailer on my phone? That's a waste of my time as a consumer. And that took a while, again, to convince them to say, okay, we need custom content. We need an exclusive experience. Otherwise, users aren't going to engage. And so to the extent we started doing that and creating those custom mobile pages, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why QR has a bad rap. I mean, think back four or five years ago, you would scan a QR code and it would take you to a, a website. to their website yeah. that wasn't even mobile friendly. Right. What's the what's the point? That's a terrible experience. And then, you know, people would associate QR with bad experiences, not because QR doesn't work, but because it took you to a bad experience. I mean, take the you know Starbucks payment app. That's uses QR as the connecting technology. It's one of the most successful mobile payment apps in the country. It uses QR. So uh, for us, that's really the way we thought about it is that end experience has to be valuable, whether it's monetary value, entertainment value, functional value, and it's got to be exclusive to that experience, not just taking something and, and bringing it over here. Um, and so to the extent we can work with our clients that embrace that and want to build that in-house and they have agencies capable of doing so, um, if they didn't have the bandwidth, we could help out. We can do it from scratch. And so a lot of the campaigns, I'd say probably 75% of the campaigns we do, we actually build that mobile experience that's associated with, with the interaction. Is the success rate of the creative that you guys do versus that twenty that seventy five percent versus the twenty five that you let the client do, uh, do internally? Is there a success ratio that's better when you do it versus them? No, because even in parts where they do it, it's just that they prefer their agency or their okay. vendors that they work with to do it. We still kind of have some some say in it, or you know, we advise them on it. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just a matter of who does it. But the I would concepts. say um, the concepts yeah, and, and all of the campaigns that we do, for the most part, we see eye to eye with the uh, with the client as to, OK, what are we trying to, to accomplish? And that's the most important part. So creativity, like so you working on the, and these are components like we're basically building a checklist when it comes to how to do exactly. this. Right. So creativity and custom content when you land there. Here's a perfect example is that during the Super Bowl this year, I'm up in Canada. So, you know, it doesn't cost four and a half million dollars for a 30 second ad. It's it's <laughs> less than that. But still, you've got a captive audience up here. Um, Toyota Canada ran an ad that was Shazamable. So, of course, as a mobile guy, I said, like, I mean, I love Shazam. I think it's the greatest platform on the planet right now for advertising. So I Shazam the ad uh, and it took me to their Twitter feed. Can you believe that? Like that. I, so here's a big screen opportunity. I'm in a bar and I'm like, I scan it and it's like, it takes me to their Twitter feed. And, and uh, I was blown away. And this kind of made my heart sink because it Lost was such a wasted opportunity, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, man, well, so you've got to think about this. You've got to be creative in the delivery, and then you've also got to deliver when they actually engage, and that's the key. Those are the two pieces, right? Yeah, those are the two main pieces outside of the technology, but to us, that's that's really how it goes. So we say it's kind of, you said a checklist, we call it the value chain of the mobile campaign. So we start with the concept and the strategy where we establish what are the goals of the campaign, right? And that's to us the biggest thing because we've seen that happen in the past as well where an agency or a brand would come to us and say, hey, we want to do a, an NFC campaign. Yeah, say, start with the technology. What, for, yeah. for what point? What's the purpose of the campaign? The technology comes much later. Let's figure out what are we trying to do? Are we trying to get people to watch the trailer? Are we trying to get people to sign up for a sweepstakes? Are we trying to get people to redeem a coupon or an offer? That's the first thing that has to be established. 
the technology comes later in the process. Um, and so we've tried to kind of mold that thinking and change the thinking around a little bit to, to fit with that value chain because it, it just makes more sense that way. I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't agree with you. Like, and I think that that's a, one of my questions that I wrote down here was, you know, what did the competition, you know, those early days, what did the competition get wrong? And I think you just answered it by focusing on technology first and then yeah. leaving everything else to second, right? Exactly. And they kind of say, hey, you know, every time there's a new technology, we see it every time. So when there's Bluetooth, you got a hundred companies pop up and say, hey, we have the best Bluetooth devices. And they go to the agencies and, the, and say, we have the best Bluetooth. Everybody else's is, is subpar. Ours is better. Use ours. But they have no idea how to use it. That's yes. the problem. And they can't advise on how to use it. And so it doesn't matter whether it's better or worse. If you can't use it, it's, it's pretty meaningless. And every time that happens, two years later, there's a shakeup and there are two of those hundred companies left. And then you have the next wave of technology with NFC and you have a hundred new companies saying they have the best platform. Now you have three left. And then, you know, same thing with iBeacon. You have tons of companies saying they have the best beacon in the world and half of them don't even have one. I mean, we've seen some of these devices. They look like, you know, people put together some Radio Shack components and crazy um, and uh, are saying that. So, yeah, I think that's one of our biggest differentiators is the fact that, um, number one, we have the kind of experience of how to utilize the technology and the content, the creative portion of it is super important. I think that, that that approach is is brilliant, right? Where where you're starting with the message and the outcome that the client desires, and it's a balance between what what the client wants and what their customer would will, will accept, right? And and that's a fine line because oftentimes the client will want something like to mm -hmm. push you a trailer or an ad or a coupon, and and the actual their client doesn't want any of that; they want something else. So it's it's yep. that balance, and and focusing on that rather than the technology, and coming to you guys as that content creative expert. And oh, by the way, whatever technology is ne is is required at that moment, we'll make that happen. And it could be exactly. different, as you said, right? It could be NFC in one spot, uh, and it could be iBeacon at another, and then it could be just proximity at a third place yeah. or location at a third place, right? Yep, yeah. exactly, exactly. What do you think of this stuff that's happening with with iBeacon now? Just because I think that this has a huge impact on on what it is that you're what you, that you're offering. Uh, you know, when they talk about Apple and iBeacon rolling out across, you know, a hundred stadiums in 2014, and and, uh, and certainly the Apple Store and and I think it's Bloomingdale's or Macy's that is actually doing this as well with iBeacon. How, how does that? How do you think that plays out? Is this as revolutionary as I think it is? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think it has great potential uh, if used correctly in the appropriate environment. So. For retail and for somewhere where you have a captive audience in a location that shares an interest, I think it's perfect, right? You walk into, like you said, a Bloomingdale's or a Macy's and you have the Macy's app or you have a Bloomingdale's app and you pop it open. And as you walk throughout the store, you can see different things that potentially are being uh, prompted on your phone. Makes perfect sense. Um, it's opt-in. You have to have the app open, obviously, or have the app installed. Uh, but it's also kind of pushed to you as you walk around the store. So it has an element of both push and pull. Um, and it makes sense again in those types of environments for traditional at a home, not as relevant, not, so good. <laughs> not as relevant because number one, a lot of people uh, forget the fact that beacons, whether it's an iBeacon, you know, beacons are not just uh, exclusive to Apple. Yep. Obviously, Apple kind of came out with the iBeacon and their protocol for uh, for that for that Bluetooth um, and Android, you know, we'll, we'll start adopting it. And the one of the things people forget is the fact that they're specific to the apps. Right. So it's not like you have a universal beacon and a universal app that if you walk around, you discover every beacon and every beacon will uh, prompt your phone to do something. These beacons are 
if you think about it, very different from the Bluetooth that we used back in the day where the device was a smart device because the phones were feature phones. Right. And so all the content, all the management would take place on the device and it would send you the content. This is the reverse. The beacon itself is this dumb device. It's just, it's very similar to an NFC chip. It's just an identifier. All it does is it beams out a signal and says, hey, I'm beacon one, two, three, four, I'm five. Here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I'm here, I'm here. That's it. The phone is where that intelligence lies these days. So it's, it's a very, it's very different. But again, that beacon has to interact with a specific app that you have on your phone. And so in an at-home environment where you have a lot of fragmentation, you have a lot of media owners, you have different clients, different brands, um, it's very difficult unless all of a sudden we said, hey, we're going to create a Blue Byte app to discover outdoor advertising, but who's going to download that, right? <laughs> um, so for us, it's relevant in some environments, like we're doing a rollout here in New York um, for, in the ferry system where we have our M tags, which is NFC and QR, that's associated with the digital out-of-home screens, but we've also built an app for them that allows people to look at the schedules, buy tickets, and so the thinking there is if somebody comes up to the, to the port and there's a you know two or three ferries lined up and they have the beacons on them, it'll pop up on your phone saying, hey, I'm ferry... ABC, this is where I'm going. Do you want to buy tickets for the ferry? That's a perfect example of, again, you know, kind of using multiple technologies to, to get people as part of that experience. Great. That's a great marriage because it's in context with an action that you would probably want to take as opposed to having this universal thing. Did you guys think about doing your own Blue Byte application? Was that part of the thinking process? And then you just said, no, nah, no. We've thought about that in the past, but again, the way people behave in outdoor environments, and that's again a thing that um, we've learned just over time, is very different than the way they behave in front of a computer screen. It's very different than the way they behave at home in front of a television or even in a retail environment, right? People who are walking past a phone kiosk in Manhattan at a fast pace aren't going to sit there and stand in front of it for 25 minutes and interact with it, right? So to the extent we make them tap, download an app, engage the app, it's too much. It's just too much time. Unless you're giving away, I don't know, a free car, maybe people will do it. But for the normal paybacks that you have, the payoffs that you have for the campaigns we run, very unlikely. So what we said from early on, early on is we have to create an experience that has the fewest barriers possible. Because every time you put in a barrier, such as the download of an app, installation of an app, signing up, you drop people in the funnel. So you have funnel, and every you know every barrier you add at the end, you have a very few um, yeah you have a very small group of people who are actually interacting so our engagements are frictionless it, whether it's nfc qr um short form url you walk up you tap you scan and you're taken to the experience immediately there's no intermediary step involved and so i think that's why in, in the beginning we said okay we're going to go the appless route especially with html5 now i mean three years ago four years ago it was a little bit more uncertain these days for any of the experiences that we do i mean we could do augmented reality in html5 we could do you know, gestures. I mean, you could do so much in HTML5 that you could never do before that you needed an app for in the past. You don't even need an app for these days for part of that experience. And that's what you said there So is so important. Like that seamless, frictionless interaction with whatever they're looking at, whenever they're looking at it with the device that's on their phone, that they're carrying, you know, yeah. regardless of the operating system or the platform that they're on. And I think that's... Exactly. I mean, what, what should the experience be? Like you, you kind of described it a little bit, but it's like when you think about... Uh, when, when you think about that that uh, that holistic approach, right? So I'm walking down the street and I see this screen that it, that it, either it's a uh, you know a, a billboard or it's a screen that attracts my attention. You know, is there are there certain things that work exceptionally well? Like I've seen some where you, you give away uh, ebooks and you give away music. I mean, what, what's the enticement there when people are are looking at doing something like this? What should they be doing? Is there categories that work best? 
There are, and we, we kind of uh, separate those into three main categories of, of value. Uh, so one is entertainment value, um, and that's, you know, like you said, ebooks. We did a big campaign for, uh, for Samsung. It was the largest ever NFC campaign in North America uh, across, I think, 12 major markets, 10 or 12 uh, media types. And that payoff there was, again, rewarding Samsung customers with free content. It was free ebooks, free music, um, free video. So you would walk up, you would tap it with your NFC phone and it would just get downloaded to your phone. So if it was, a, it was music, it would be a free MP3 that you didn't have to pay for. And that kind of stuff works great, right? I mean, it's things that people consume on a daily basis that are relevant to them. It's broad audience. So it's not specific to a certain subset of Samsung owners. Everybody or most people listen to either listen to music on their phone or read eBooks on their phones now. Um, so those kind of things work super well. And it's an easy frictionless experience if you have a Samsung device. And that campaign was specifically made for Samsung owners. It specifically used only NFC because they wanted to alienate iPhone users <laughs> because they wanted an iPhone user to walk up and say, oh, have envy. too bad. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and it worked. It worked very well for that. Uh, and they even had a Samsung did a commercial um, uh, for it on TV with that type of interaction between two guys. One had a Samsung, one had some other device and you know, he couldn't uh, he couldn't engage. So that was a that was a good example. Um, another part of entertainment is studios. We would do a lot of work with uh, with the movie studios. studios. We, yeah, yeah, the movie studios. We did a campaign for Paramount for Star Trek when that came out in the airports. And again, the way we look at the content, and the value is also part of where is that campaign being run. That campaign was being run in airports. We know people have more dwell time. They have more time to consume media. And so what we did with Paramount, again, instead of just giving them a 30-second trailer, we said, no, this has to be a unique experience. Let's cater to the audience that we have. And so they cut this special four or five-minute behind-the-scenes footage. It had parts of the trailer. It had commentary from the directors, from the main actors, you know, and really created an experience out of it for those people who were interested. And so only available in the airport. And only available by tapping or scanning that specific sign at that airport, or in, or and in those yeah, in those multiple airports yeah. that we rented at. Yeah. Um, so that works for entertainment. The other one is monetary. So monetary is a huge category. Um, you know, we ran a campaign for for Gap uh, in malls, and for the holiday season, again, you walk up to the digital screen, tap it, scan it, and you get a coupon to go redeem right there and then. But monetary is very subjective. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have a 10 percent, 10 cent off coupon, a hundred dollar product, what's the point? And that's, again, one of the balances we have is if you're going to do an offer, make it valuable. Don't do a dollar off a five hundred dollar product. That's yeah. not going to really entice them. You're converting walkers into shoppers. Right. That's the goal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So monetary works very well as long as one, there's proximity to where you could actually redeem it. Two, there's actual value in that monetary um, offer as opposed to just some trivial value. Um, and then to the extent we can couple those multiple value propositions, which is what we try to do often, where you, know, you download this plus you get an offer. So we did one for uh, for Hotels.com and Hotel Tonight. We did an app download in the airports. So that's part of functional value where you're getting, you know, it's not true monetary. It's not entertainment, but it's functional. It's based on your location, provides some kind of utility. So you're in an airport. We're assuming you're a traveler, which is their part their target market. And that's, again, one of the big things about combining mobile without a home is because we're targeting based on location. Right. We're going to that demo. We don't have to get them to fill out surveys saying they're a traveler. They're in the airport. They're obviously a traveler. Um, and so we had a tap and scan to download the app. But as part of the app, you also get a 20 or $25 booking credit when you sign up for it. So to the extent we can take those three categories, but even meld them together where you have components of each. So you have monetary value, functional value, and potentially some entertainment value as part of that. Those work the best. 
especially when it's relevant to your environment, like a travel app in an airport. Oh man, like it just it, see when you when you describe it like you are, Michael, it makes absolute sense, right? And and you start to wonder why people aren't doing more of this, and then you also wonder, you know, you know, the purity of this is that it's so effective, and uh, and maybe if everybody's doing it, wouldn't be as, as effective. So, but you must look at this and see your engagements, the metrics of these. For the first time, you can gauge metrics of these displays, right? So it's yeah. not just about traffic. Um, but are you noticing a higher engagement rate, higher dwell time in front of these things now? We have seen, uh, you know, because we track on a monthly basis, on a daily basis, and that's one of the things that mobile brings to the outdoor industry is the fact that we have true accountability. We have analytics. It's amazing. We have analytics. It's not just an estimate of a million eyeballs land on this billboard a day. It's how many actual interactions do you have with this sign on a minute by minute basis? You know what kind of phones they have, you know what kind of content they consume. All of that data now is associated. So data that we look at as akin to digital and online that we're used to, now you could apply to the physical world, which which is a first. Uh, and that actually scared some of the signage in, in the beginning, right? Because if you're saying that a million eyeballs land on this, but you're only getting 20 interactions, what does that say? Um, and it's still does and rightfully so. I mean, I understand their point of view, but the way we look at it is it's not a true click-through rate because that's what people try to um, equate it to. Yeah, they shouldn't equate it to. Yeah. But it's not a click. You're not sitting in front of a computer where you're clicking around and it's an easy, as easy as it just to click with the mouse. Um, there are two different mediums that are serving two different purposes. So one is a impression-based medium and now you can go up to it and interact with it, but it's not as easy. You have to take out another medium and now take a physical action. So we try to kind of separate those two and say, okay, you're paying for two separate things. You're paying for the impressions that you're getting from the eyeballs, and now you're paying for the mobile interactions as well. Measure them separately, you're paying for them separately. It just serves two functions. Um, but the, the interaction rates have grown, uh, I'd say over the past two, three years that we've been doing our M tag, which just stands for mobile tag, and that's NFC, QR, URL, those are kind of the three main components. Uh, so the overall number of interactions on average per sign have, have grown, I'd say probably maybe doubled or tripled over the past two years. Uh, the percentage of, and even QR as a, as a whole, you know, people, I read articles all the time saying QR is dead. Some people like it, some people hate it. Uh, but, and that's an argument we get when we meet with an agency sometimes, oh no, nobody uses QR. And I say, I don't love QR, but I can show you tons of data saying that we just ran a campaign last week with thousands of people using it. Um, and so the aggregate number of engagements has went up. NFC has went up the most over the past two years because when it first came out, I mean, you had one phone. Now you have probably 25% of the market has has an NFC-enabled device. Um, hopefully, you know, or at one point maybe Apple will will decide to do it. Who knows? Um, that'll be a function of infrastructure in our in our uh, opinion. But it's a significant enough percentage of the population where we see roughly a third of our interactions coming from NFC, which is you know again pretty significant. What happens when uh, we leave the screens in our pocket and we start walking around with iWatches and Google Glass and, and that kind of engagement? Do you, do you start to uh, morph this, the, the way that you engage with these screens? Do you think about that, obviously? We do think about it. I think it's still a little bit early. Um, yeah. You know, people are still You guys are even... seven years early in this industry. So I'm just, you know, I got to think, like, you guys got to be thinking about this so that in yeah. seven years, everything's <laughs> still relevant, right? Uh, it's a hard battle, but uh, but you yeah. must be thinking now, about wearables. We we think about it again. We, we I think we've we've tapered our expectations of how quickly things evolve. Yeah. Uh, to <laughs> yes, be, good good for you. You to, learn your lesson yeah, the first time. Exactly. <laughs> to to cater more to what people are doing today, um, as opposed to what they're be doing. But we we obviously think about it, and you know, the wearables and 
accessories that are already revolutionizing the way we look at media, um, I think will start coming into play. But for the foreseeable future, the next two, three years, um, I don't think it's going to have mass um, adoption in terms of interacting with the physical, you know, kind of the physical space, the outdoor space. Maybe three years is a little, is a little uh, conservative, but year or two, for sure, we're still concentrating on, you know, the phone. Um, and then we'll see kind of how that plays out and what technologies, what connective technologies are embedded in those wearables that allow us to interact with it. What about uh, just plain location, right? So we're talking, you know, technology is important, obviously. So the, the way that you interact with, with the screen. Um, but if, if, what about just plain old geolocation, you know, proximity to this, just based on my location and the fact yep. that there's a screen in front of me? How, how does that play? And, and does that eliminate technology challenges? So we do that as well um, as kind of in two scenarios. So number one, we do that to augment campaigns we're doing in large venues. So let's take an airport or a shopping mall where we have um, screens, posters that are embedded with our M tag. But then you have as part of your target demo, you may have people just sitting at the gate. They may not want to walk up to the poster and tap and scan, but they're still part of your tar target demographic. So what we'll do there is we'll use location. We'll geofence the airport and we'll say, okay, anybody within this area that is inside certain apps or on certain mobile sites, we can serve up a banner ad, right? We can serve a banner ad to their phone. That's part of that experience. So if they click it there or if they tap or scan, they go to the exact same experience. They're just getting to it in a different way. But this way it allows us to get more scale, more reach. We don't have to rely on people to actually walk up and engage with the sign. Uh, we have the ability to target people who are outside of that immediate proximity. So if you just look at it as levels of, of tiers of proximity and tiers of engagement, location geo is really your outermost broader right one. yes yeah. is your broadest one then the one after that you have uh, technologies like wi-fi and bluetooth that are a little bit closer and then finally the closest ones you have are qr and nfc where you're physically interacting with the ad and the interesting thing is if you look at the actual uh, metrics of how people interact with that experience when they take those different on-ramps it's very telling um, in terms of how long they spend on the page the bounce rate, um, how many of the pieces of content they consume, and people who actually walk up and people who are interacting through NFC and QR spend a lot more time on the page. They're a lot more interactive. And as you get outside of the funnel, there's less and less engagement. Uh, I mean, it would be fascinating to be able to watch that path, right, from 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 broad geofencing all the way down to do how, how many of those people that you interact with end up in front of the screen tapping or downloading and, and yeah and that that's you know this kind of stuff is so fascinating I mean I have two questions left for you um, and then I'm gonna let you go I know we're a little bit over time so I, I really appreciate it if you got a little bit no, more no time Miguel. thank you um, what what you know when you when you think about the goals of the posters or the displays so out of home uh, what should what should people who are listening to this who are considering this what should they be hoping for should should they be uh, you know is, is the goal to to get an email address is the goal to uh, to download an app. I mean, what should they realistically think that those people that are engaged with their posters are going to be doing or or would want to do? It really, I mean, the, it's a it's a good question, but it's very specific to the advertiser and to the to the environment. It's it's a hard question. So it's a terrible question. Broadly. That's what you're saying. It, it's it's a good question if you were a client. Okay. Right. If you were a specific client, you came in and you say you were a you know let's let's take a specific example. So we just ran a campaign for for Lincoln, uh, in the taxi cabs. 
So in, in New York, and you know that was a unique rollout where we have our tag, our M tags underneath uh, the screens and the taxis. So if you ever take a cab in New York, you'll see it. Um, but basically, they wanted a couple of different things. They wanted to accomplish. They wanted to promote the new MKZ, which actually they released uh, auto sales yesterday, and they did phenomenally well in January. So I don't know if we had anything to do with that, did. but take all credit, all the credit. Hopefully, hopefully we did. Um, but it, they wanted a couple of things. They wanted to accomplish a few things. So one is they wanted to promote the car. Um, so they showed features of the, of the vehicle, compared it to other vehicles, all of that kind of stuff. Two, they wanted to get um, people's opinions, brand health, how they think about the brand, how they think about that specific vehicle, so we can do a mobile survey. Right? We don't have to hire a giant surveying company to do focus groups. People are already engaging. Why not allow them to do a quick you know, five, six question, cool survey with graphics. I mean, it wasn't, you know, boring uh, Scantron. So it was a nice, you know, nice little uh, mobile experience there. And then they also created uh, all of this unique custom content uh, with uh, film studios. They have these two, three minute beautiful videos that they've created. Uh, and that was another opportunity knowing that people are sitting in a taxi for 10, 12 minutes. That's the average dwell time to allow them to spend that time and to, to consume that media. So that experience again was great. We built it from scratch. It was custom to that to, to that campaign. It wasn't just taking them to Lincoln.com, uh, and they really embraced that idea of again, let's create a unique experience in, in the taxis. Um, the next part of where that's going, and we're we're talking to them right now, is now that you have the remote payments, and you have you know Uber and, and apps like that that now are integrated with the uh, with the system, the payment systems and the taxis. The next opportunity that we're thinking is having the brand sponsor free taxi rides for users. So after they scan or tap and they go to the experience of the brand, we now have the ability to pick people at random and say, hey, your taxi ride has been paid for by XYZ brand. Love it. And that's the incentive for people to engage, knowing that, hey, I'm going to tap and scan every time I get into a taxi because maybe my taxi ride will be free. God, that's so smart, man. That is so smart. <laughs> You know, like, you know, you're learning stuff. If you're listening to this or watching this, you're learning this kind of thing. So it means tap everywhere. Um, God, I, I, you know, I, I just, I get blown away when I get that because I get so excited. I, we, you know, we covered a patent in a recent show around Google saying, listen, you know what, we're going to do a, you know, a tap to click uh, Google ad that uh, that if, if you get into a cab, if you want to buy the product, that retailer will pay for the cab ride to get you to the door to pay the product. And I think that, you know, those kind of things, it's ingenious, Perfect. right? Yep. Perfect. God, I love it. All right. So what's what's next? You know, um, uh, before that, I want to know, how long does it take for you guys to build a campaign like that with that extensive? Is, is it months? Is it weeks? Is it years? Um, so what we do is we try to basically run parallel to the process that's already in place. And a typical outdoor campaign takes months in terms of planning and buying. And so as long as we get involved early on, which is great anyway, because we want to be part of that strategy, we want the creative to be good and work the call to action to the creative, we don't really delay the process, right? right? So it's not like we add a month to the process. We're just part of the process that's already ongoing. So uh, it really depends on our development time, depending on what that experience is and what it entails. It oh, could be immersive. two weeks, it could be a month, it yeah. could be a month and a half. Uh, but again, that's usually running parallel to the entire process. So it's not like we're adding any additional time to uh, to a typical campaign. Yeah, and, and my, my answer to that would have been, you know, as long as it takes to get it right, damn it, right? <laughs> Um, so that's, what about 
Last question. What about, how does this play out? So we, we talked a little bit about wearables. We talked about a little bit about this technology. Uh, is there anything that you're keeping an eye on right now that you think, okay, this is, this is going to be pretty big. Like, you know, screen size is going to come down. They're going to get bigger. They're going to get more interactive, built in NFC in the screens, which you've seen on a couple of, uh, of, of new screens. Yep. What's, what's getting you excited about this industry that keeps you motivated? For us, I think it's the ability to bring outdoor out of a silo to interact with the world around us. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that got us excited about NFC from the traditional Bluetooth days, because that wasn't for all intents and purposes, that was a offline experience, right? The Bluetooth transmitter was online, but the user's phone wasn't online. It was just sending the content. So it was a basically, you know, one way communication from the poster to your phone and it would end there. Whereas now, and it doesn't really matter on the technology, whether it's NFC, iBeacon, QR, all of those things, we're bringing the outdoor into the conversation. So you can connect it with social media. You can right. connect it with things that you're doing online. Um, you can connect it with all the other things that are existing, You know, like you said, with uh, the tap to, to redeem with the shopping and, and, and Google. I mean, things that were impossible even three years ago, four years ago, now are possible in, in terms of having a consumer go through the entire media mix and have outdoor woven through, through with the help of mobile, have outdoor as part of that media mix uh, and kind of bringing it all together and then looking at the metrics and how people behave. I think that to us, what we're thinking as what's next for us, it's how to use that data. And I know we haven't really discussed it a lot, but what we're doing is we're building these profiles, uh, if you have, if you will, um, on how consumers are behaving, but not by tapping into their phone and looking at their GPS and, you know, looking at things that aren't, uh, you know, that are private to the consumers. This is all personally unidentifiable information, but we know that this person got in a taxi in New York. They looked at this content. Then they walked out and they tapped one of our signs in the airport. They looked at this content. Then they got out and they went into a hotel and they tapped on this, right? So we can make very good uh, assumptions on what that user likes, what that user does, based on how they're actually behaving in the physical world. And I think that part is, you know, a lot of people are trying to do that. Apps are trying to do that and they monitor, you know, how a lot of the carriers are trying to do that because they have unprecedented access, access to the devices. Sure. Uh, but it's a different type of access, right? Those are th that type of access people don't really like, right? People don't like a Verizon or an AT&T or a T-Mobile following them and knowing exactly what they're doing and where they're doing it. But in our scenario, we're not taking any of that information from a user. A user is voluntarily interacting, and all we know is that this handset right here is performing those actions. We have no idea your name, your phone number, your GPS coordinates. We just know that you've tapped in this location, and we know you did that because our, our tag is in that location, not because we know the GPS of your phone. Right. So to me, that's the really exciting part is as we build those this ecosystem, as it becomes larger, we can create amazing assumptions, and we can target and give consumers what they really, really want based on what they've done and what they've told us about themselves by acting, by, by their actions. I, I, that the whole data side is, is so fascinating and people get so spooked around the data that's being collected about them. And there's a difference between following people around, which carriers are have the ability to do and the power of the carrier. And then what credit card companies and debit card companies have that look at patterns of uh, purchase behavior and location of that purchase, you know, anonymous as it might be, 
But but then there's also the opt-in piece, which is what you're talking about, is that in order to be able to have an engagement and you to collect data from them, there has to be a, a voluntary opt-in piece to this. They, if they don't do it, they don't they don't get collected, right? So I think that th there's those categories that people get concerned about. There's the government, then there's the carriers, then there's the the payment processing companies, and then and then you sit, you know, obfuscated from all of that and only with opt-in. And I think that that you just we just got to make sure that people understand this. This is the world we're going into, and I don't think that we're going to have those moments where you're walking down the hall like in uh, Minority Report, and they're doing retinal scans and they're displaying everything on the screen just for you, mm -hmm. um, because I think that would be just completely overwhelming for the average consumer. We we just become recluses in our in our house away from, from those kind of screens. <laughs> So exactly. So we try to avoid that. Yeah. Well, this is this, you know, Mikhail, I took more time than I said I was going to. This has been this has been so fascinating because I think this is obviously people understand this and they're starting to emerge from this. And, and my hope here is that what we've done is we've just shed a little bit of a light on to the power that these things have, these screens that are inanimate. They're not dying. They're not going away. They're not all going to be QR codes, you know, um, they are going to be interactive, and they're going to allow much more engagement than they're getting right now from from the uh, from the people walking by. That goes with you know store displays. It goes with uh, with anything that has a, a screen or a dumb flat surface. So fascinating by this. I thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, you know hopefully people have learned something about about us and like you said the power that that we have and the opportunity that's out there. Uh, it's just it's up to us to to utilize it to the best of our abilities and to bring value to the consumers and, and the brands who are already paying for this stuff. Man, like it's so so well said. Go to bluebite.com. We've been speaking with Mikhail uh, Damiani. Mikhail Damiani, CEO and co-founder of a company called Bluebyte, bluebyte.com. Mikhail, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Rob. We'll talk to you soon.